Hey guys, welcome on a new episode of Alpha Weekly. I'm Marie Marks, the founder of Alpha Collective and the host behind this podcast. And today we're going to be speaking with Oscar. Oscar is the founder of the Project Lobster, which is a really cool concept and project based in Spain. If you want to find out more about his story, don't hesitate to listen to the full episode and check out our website, alphacollective.es. See you soon. Take care of yourself. Ciao, ciao. Hey guys, welcome on a new episode of Alpha Weekly. Today I'm with Oscar Valledor, the CEO and co-founder of Project Lobster. How's it going? Hi Marie, thanks for having me. It's been a rough week, but let's get it. <laughs> a really rough challenge also to get you on, on the show. How many times did we try to actually have this podcast recorded? I'd say at least three or four times right now, yeah? Yeah, I think so, yeah. So let's start by speaking about your, your business. So what do you do and why is it called Project Lobster? It's actually a pretty long story. Like, we're lazy about the name, to be honest. We were actually in a national contest and Project Lobster was the name of our Google Drive folder just because we went to Milan and, and we decided to give it a code name. And at the end of the day, we had to submit a name and we just went with it and we were expecting to come up with something more I don't know, probably interesting uh, by the time we were able to pitch, but actually ended up working really well because people actually started really liking what we said, what we had as a name. And at the end of the day, we actually ended up going with Project Lobster and people actually seem to love it. Project Lobster is a really badass name, to be honest. Like, I was thinking to myself, you know, really cool, really cool. So what's the business? Okay, so in 2018, pretty much that's where we started a company, but actually few months before that we started tinkering with the idea of what we wanted to do and um, we basically are a dig- uh, digitally native vertical brand in the eyewear space we design manufacture and sell directly to the end user uh, high quality prescription and sunglasses and well right now we have a couple stores in the city in, in Barcelona we have another one in Valencia and yeah that's pretty much what we do right now pretty cool so you're the CEO and can you tell us a bit about, about the most complicated path and the most complicated uh, things about being a young CEO? Like, what's the most challenging thing? It's quite cool to be a CEO, a 25-year-old, you must say. Yeah, I, I guess. But also, like, at times it's kind of stressful. I mean, I guess the main challenge is well, where we started. Uh, we started hiring people. And obviously, you always have to hire people that are a bit more intelligent and capable than you are. That's why you hire people, definitely. And at the start, we had trouble because we had some problems of authority. Like we didn't, people didn't really trust our decisions and that's absolutely normal. But at the end of the day, you are the one that takes control of the ship. And if people are not really following your orders or your direction, then everything just basically becomes really, really messy and it's hard to get things done. So that was definitely a hard part of it. And, but I think you, you actually learn to deal with it and you actually learn how to be re- like how to get or earn the people's respect. So yeah, that's definitely been the, the hardest part of it since the start. So knowing you started your company just after university, let's say, um, like how did you learn about becoming an entrepreneur? You learned on the go, right? Well, actually, I started while I was finishing my studies. So not even like after school, it was during school. The thing is, I my family actually started a business 30 years ago. And ever since I was really little, I've been like basically 
I have seen how a business is created from the like from the inside. So that was a extremely humbling and 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 really like really good experience because if I ever had any doubts, like I just I could just look just like my family's example. And from the very start, or pretty much since I was like young, even in high school, I always thought of myself as a person that had I had to become an entrepreneur. I'm extremely um, how do you say that? How do you say tofudo in English? I don't know. Yeah. Well, I am. I am a person that is really, really stubborn. That's the, that's a word. And the thing is, I probably was not able. I wouldn't have been able to like be happy, but at the same time, follow people's orders. So welcome I, to the club. Yeah. Right. So I just actually, I just had to do my own thing. And I am a person that is like really, really like when I get. I mean, when I am to something, I just go with it, and I go one hundred and fifty, like one hundred fifty percent. And yeah, it just actually came naturally. Like I was part of an incubator program inside my my school when I was at, at Universidad Pompeu Fabra. I actually started like developing the first concept and idea of of what is Project Lobster right now. When I was there, and that was an extremely good boost of of energy and motivation to keep going. And actually, when I finished the program, which I ended up winning, I actually founded a company, and and that was that was it. Are you proud today of of your achievements? I mean, you must be. Come on. Yeah, I mean, it, I wouldn't say proud is what I focus on. It's more like I love what we do. Like, what we do is actually super, super entertaining and extremely challenging. Like, we're basically a company that does retail, does technology. We do, like, digital media. We do basically everything that you can think of. And it's extremely challenging to manage all, all these departments and all these kind of different skills inside a company while you are only, like, 25 or 24 or, or, or how like doesn't really matter how old you are it's always really really challenging especially with a really small team so it's extremely rewarding to see things happening and when you when you actually t like pitch your project to people and people actually seem to understand what you do and they see the value of it and actually always like we've always had like extremely good feedback from our clients and yeah I mean it's extremely extremely rewarding Speaking about team, how many people do you have currently in your team? Right now, we are 14 people. Uh, we started, we founded a company, that's when, when we started hiring people, basically. Uh, we founded a company in May, May 2018. So that was like a year and a half ago. And it's grown pretty fast, I guess. Yeah, but now it's gonna start, like we're gonna start hiring more and more people because we are def definitely growing fast right now. So we need more hands, so yeah. <laughs> so you were speaking about you know being young and, and struggling to get the respect at the beginning from people. Your employees are older than you, I guess, a little bit. Some of them, or just you know, it's challenging. Yeah, I mean, I when we started, well, still, I, I still no, we actually hired someone that was a bit younger. Now, when we started, we were the youngest in the team, me and my and my partners. We are 25 years old. We were born in '94, and we had people that were like 10, seven years older than us. So it's definitely not easy to start, but actually with time, people start actually respecting your decision. And, and yeah, that just makes things easier. I mean, it makes sense because it's your company, right? <laughs> In terms of leadership style, how would you describe yourself as, as a leader and, and describe the culture of, of, of Project Lobster? Um, we are, I am devoting, I mean, basically my, my role as a founder right now is basically thinking forward but we get hands-on with basically everything that we do. Like, for example, I still take care of all the online advertising. I still take care of 
of social media. I take care of basically a lot of things. But also, for example, um, we, I am still like going to the construction side, like, taking care of like everything that is going ha- happening with our new stores or whatever. So that like that's something that I think really keeps you um, humble, I guess. But at the same time, I'm a person that at the start I, I had more trouble with it. Right now, it's not as as complicated. But at the start, it was hard to delegate. Obviously, you always it's your baby, and you really want to take care of what you do, right? So everything that that that, that is getting done or anything that people can see you really want to filter it right like it's extremely important to have like an homogeneous experience and all that so as a founder you often tend to overextend i'd say yeah this is really cool i like that how many sunglasses how many glasses in total have you sold do you know that metric yeah you know yeah i think if i had to guess it has to be around six thousand, more or less yeah So that's that like might not sound that much, but to be honest, if you take into account that the average optician sells 500 glasses a year, and we've going on for one year and a half, I'd say we've sold pretty much what an optician is supposed to sell in, in like around 12 years. So yeah, <laughs> I like that. I like that. So speaking about the ecosystem surrounding your startup in terms of competition. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, we've seen huge companies growing from nothing to something, especially made in Barcelona, like Hawkers, like other companies. Um, it's quite a challenging market, I bet. But where do you locate yourself? Is this a premium type of brand? How much are, are, are a pair of sunglasses in, in your company? Describe the product a bit. Yeah. So what we saw first is that there was a gap more focused on the prescription glasses industry. Like the, the, the market is extremely fragmented. There's a really poor digitalization. Some of the, like most of the players are um, multi-brand spaces, they're uh, optical chains. And so we saw an opportunity to disrupt more about like the, um, the, 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 like the experience of buying glasses. And typically the, the, the glasses product was always, like the prescription glasses product was a, a product that was associated with a lot of like clinical like stigma, right? And Actually, what has happened is that a new wave of consumers, right now, I think in, in, in 2023, we're expected to have around 62% of the population in Spain that, he, that has myopia. So that's a, like a huge chunk of the population that cannot see properly. Um, there's a huge new wave of, of consumers that consume in a radically different way than, like the, for example, the, the baby boomer generation, right? So... Um, there was a huge disconnection uh, with the way people consume glasses and what people think of the product because uh, the product is now considered as a fashion accessory pretty much but the buying experience like the, the customer experience of buying prescription glasses was still really really non-digitalized and really orthodox so what we created was basically a project that revolved around having like really high quality product but also making it like stupidly simple to consume like our mantra internal mantra is that we work to make uh buying prescription glasses as easy as getting a white t-shirt that's like we really try to make it simple make it really 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 easy to the to the end consumer and always offer like great service great price like a lot of speed uh we try to like create a whole package that is way more oriented towards like the the actual millennial and gen z consumer so that's what we do right now we use like non-traditional media channels like we all our communication is based on social media is based on digital channels like google facebook and 
obviously that has also shifted the way that our consumers are experiencing our product compared to what they were used to like most of our of our sales start online and people just like check out what we do they take a look at our products on our website and then they go to our to our stores to ex- to enjoy a really good customer experience and really simple like a person in our store can get in and can can get out in just 15 minutes with a new pair of prescription glasses ordered with like a huge like like a complete eye exam test in the middle and all that so you they, they receive the product and the next day like it's a really fresh experience for like a really old-fashioned product but what we try to give it is that digital touch and like a really really good customer experience but that's what we're working on right now we still need to like open new retail locations and obviously expand our, our terri- like territory but at the end of the day that's the thing the space we're trying to to go for it's definitely adapted to to the new generation of millennials that want things easy in their hands and quickly you tell me you have shops in barcelona valencia but for people that are not based in these cities they can buy the product online Okay, yeah. So we start. We actually started as an online company, and that when that worked okay for a while. But at the end of the day, if you want to scale, I think you need to adapt to the market. It's at some point, like you can re- disrupt the market if you are actually solving a lot of problems. But like in Spain, for example, what is the need for buying online glasses? You can. You only need to buy online glasses if you really want a specific brand that is not available where you are, or if you don't have time. Because of tra- the the cost of tra- of transportation to a, to a closed optical store, basically in Spain, there's I think there's a uh, we are the country with the highest density of optical stores in the world. So the cost of, for a user to go to an optical store to get new glasses is really really low because every store basically saying the best selling Ray Bans, the best selling Persols. So at the end of the day, it's really really easy for a user to get new glasses. However. Um, what we were trying to do is to basically offer really good online experience for the people that are not in the cities. So right now, we started a model. It, it, we didn't invent it, obviously, but we give uh, the peop- people the possibility to try five glasses at home for a week. And that's completely free of charge. Uh, you don't even have... Well, I think you need to put your your card details, but we don't... glasses? Yeah, I mean, we just, like, we just make a... a we make sure that you're that we have a policy that if you don't return your glasses, you get a small charge. But um, right now, it's like really friction, like it's basically frictionless. You don't pay for the for the shipping costs. You don't pay for the return costs. You get to try at home for a week or a work or whatever you want. Uh, five pairs of glasses if you like, and you're not forced to buy anything. Obviously, so a a a, a how do you call that? the shipping company just comes pick up the package like a week later and you just like it's it allows you to like try at home or try to work with like a m- way more chilled experience right to to try new glasses and that's just a new way of lying but we offer that to our customers that are not in in barcelona or or madrid i uh, barcelona or valencia sorry yeah that's pretty cool though i like the flexibility that you're pro- providing the customer is definitely needed point in this uh, industry I forgot the question I wanted to ask you at the beginning of the when you were speaking about the company you spoke about different departments digital media did you say these things right can you explain that because that got me a little confused yeah so right now in the company um, we are like we have different spaces obviously we have teams at the stores which are technical teams we have doctors basically working full-time eye doctors and and technical assistants we have uh, three stores right now 
And on the other hand, we have like the office, the main office, where we are basically developing whatever needs to be developed. So we would have the people that are in charge of strategy and finance, which the teams are really flexible in, in our company. Like we have people that are in different teams. So we have the, the, the team of strategy and finance. We have the team of marketing and communication. We have the team of operations. We would have the team of customer service and the team of, of technology, right? So basically, well, what was the question again about these departments? Like different departments you had in the, their operation, like what are they doing? You know? Yeah. So basically, I think the most interesting one is the technology in one because you might ask or you might wonder, like, why does a retail company exactly. that sell glasses, why do you have a technology department? Well, I think technology is an investment if you want to scale and you want to scale fast, so you need that. In our company, technology is absolutely like key player because we need a system that allows you to be as scalable as possible when you want to open stores. If you want to, for example, if you want to open like 1,000 stores in three years, which is, for example, one of our competitors doing in the United States, you need to have a really replicable way of opening stores, right? And a huge part of it is like, how do these stores operate and how do you handle the stores from the outside? Like, how, how do you handle the I handle the stores from like an office, right? So what we have been doing since the start basically is creating technology that allows us to control what's happening on the stores, to have a lot of systems of automation that creates a like frictionless, really fast and error-free experience for the, for the end user. And obviously also a way of controlling exactly what is going on on each store everywhere in the world on real time. And that was we, that's what we do right now. Our main, our main like, asset is that in retail, the main challenge is that um, the buyer is anonymous. As like, for example, Zara only sees tickets. Like, they see tickets and they see um, ch- deposits on their bank accounts. And that's fantastic. But you're missing a lot of the data from your users. You don't know how old your user is. You, you, can, you can have like... Um, I mean, there's a lot of like business intelligence gadgets and, and software you can use to get a hint of, of who your people are. But at the end of the day, if you're, not, if you're missing a huge chunk of your buyers, you might have some really misleading results. So at Project Lobster, we have to developed a technology that from the 100% of our users, we get basically all the information, their demographics, their psychographics, uh, more tangible data as like email, phone number and all that in a really like traditional way but we have given it a, a really technological twist and that has given a, given us like a huge advantage over our competitors for example marketing wise especially how how do you collect the data if i can ask that's the secret sauce so i cannot tell you oh no you can tell me offline <laughs> podcast <laughs> thanks <laughs> okay awesome so you were telling me also that recently you were raising capital mm-hmm that's something you can talk about? Yeah, for sure. Okay, cool. Tell, tell us about how you how you, you raise funding and what's what did you raise funding for? Especially, you know, we hear many so many startups that are technology startups in a sense like typical SaaS marketplace. So why would a, a sun like a sunglasses and a glasses company raise funds? Yeah. Um we wanted to raise funds uh, with one main goal, which is we needed to figure out how big the opportunity is basically we just need to know how big the opportunity is we don't know exactly what is the market cap of this kind of business and we don't know exactly where can it operate 
but we raise uh, money to do that, right? Um, we need to make sure uh, exactly how many stores can you open in a country, how do you open them, where do you open them, and that's what we raise money for. That's the main um, variables we're trying to to really get figured out. And the process of, of raising that kind of money was actually really, really smooth. Like... Um, I think in total it took less than 90 days to raise the the whole funding round from the first email to the amount of deposit so that that was it and we actually partnered with like some really really interesting people like uh, the lead investor at, at our seed round was Cavies and Partners Cavies and Partners well Luis uh, I hope you're not hearing this but like he's a massive legend in the yeah. Okay, that's that's awesome. Well, Luis is a legend. Like Luis is extremely extremely smart. Uh, he really knows what he's doing, obviously, and he's been an incredibly incredibly valuable addition to the team. So yeah, if you want to raise money, I, I would suggest you talk to Luis because he's really actually really active and really really proficient at what he does. Then we also raise money from a couple um, business angels. And actually, the last part that got involved is like an extremely, extremely talented venture capital, which is Avac. Avac actually comes, Avac Nest is the name of the venture capital firm, but it actually comes from a private equity firm called Avac Capital. The partners of Avac Capital are absolutely excellent. Um, they are extremely smart and, and really, really talented. I don't, I don't still think they really understand how we work because like they cannot, I mean, they don't really grasp our our work because like we definitely are out of their out of the scope they are working on like much more complex environments and ours is so non-traditional that it's obviously complicated to to grasp and their analyst uh, which is actually Artur Artur Bardera he's actually really involved with us and we we love that they are extremely talented Artur has like really really great analytical skills and they provide a lot to the to the team yeah I was making a mistake actually before we started recording the podcast speaking about the venture capital perspective and I was like, what's your monthly recurring revenue? So you were telling me that this was a mistake because to your business, this is not the most applicable metric. Yeah. Can you tell me, like tell us why I made that mistake and how, how this is not applicable to the, the glasses business? Yeah, it's really simple. Like the monthly recurring, the MRR uh, metric it's obviously the way you figure out how valuable is a, a software as a service company. But in a retail company where every month you start from ground zero, like it's not a valuable, it's not a valuable metric, mainly because um, you don't have a recurring revenue. You have lifetime value and you have cost of acquisitions and you have an average, ticket, uh, order, uh, average order value ticket and all that. But the recurring revenue just doesn't happen. I wish it did because, like, it's the best feeling in the world to not start from zero every freaking month. But at the end of the day, that's how it works for retail businesses like ours, where you just have to to capture new clients every month and have people repeat, obviously, right? But yeah, that's just why it doesn't really apply. It's it's nice it's nice that we that we bring that forward because you know I made a mistake and and I, I like to discuss this type of thing because logic, isn't it? In terms of in terms of funding, you said you raised your, your funding around very quickly. Did you face any challenge though while raising funds or while preparing the fundraising? If yes, what would that be? What would be your advice for founders to raise funds? We actually had a mistake that could not easily be solved. But like now we know. 
is that basically we were almost running out of cash. We never told anyone, like absolutely anyone. Uh, but we, I think we had less than a thousand bucks in the bank account and we had seven or eight people on payroll. So uh, we actually ended up closing the financing. We never told anyone. We never uh, had to like um, basically sell down and, or, or devalue our company to close the, the round faster. We were really, hold, we were really, really confident and actually pretty ballsy. I, I would say now I would say stupid, but we're actually pretty ballsy. So my best advice is just like look or start looking for funding when things are going really well, right? <laughs> not when you're running out of cash. That's not the best thing you can do. So you had 1,000 euros, but seven people to pay. Did your yeah. employees know that? Uh, I, I, they might have. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, at the time they probably we probably told them. Yeah, that's quite funny actually. I like that. I like that. Mm. In the um, in terms of your growth, mm. right? So, in terms of, of percentage growth, mm. how much have you grown in a year? I mean, six thousand glasses. We've got that metric. Yeah. But in terms of monthly monthly growth, do you have a metric about that? Yeah, I mean, we, we take care of um, our, our business is unusual as it grows uh, with new openings, with new store openings. But year over year, I think this year we're doing a 400% from, next, from last year. So, yeah. yeah. Hopefully that continues year on year. That would be really, really nice. So, yeah, let's see awesome. where you would be in a couple of years' time. What's your objective with Project Lobster? Are you planning to go international? Where do you, where do you see yourself going? Mm, Lobster was, I mean, Project Lobster was created as a company um, because we wanted to be, we, we say that internally, we are like a new vision for a new era. As in like, we think we are the new way of consuming uh, prescription eyeglasses. And that's how we want to be perceived as. And that is obviously a, a, a vision at a global scale. We're just not focused on Barcelona or Spain. And we definitely see ourselves... Uh, reaching like European countries and, and, and other cities. But for now, we're more focused on discovering who we, who we are, how we work, how we operate, where do you provide value to our users? And that will come with time, if we are valuable enough, obviously. Hopefully. Final question. In terms of the full entrepreneurship journey, what is your biggest challenge since the beginning? And what would be your top free advice for young founders or people that want to get the company going? Mm, that's not an easy question, eh? Um, <laughs> I'd say one, like 100% one of our first mistakes was hiring the, hiring the wrong people. Like, hiring is really, really complicated. Like getting people to work for you and coordinating that people while still crunching work because as a founder, you're probably the person that is more most efficient with like with your time and 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 your results. Like hiring people is complicated, and you need to hire the least people as possible, in my opinion. Like it just gets a lot of distraction going on. So hiring is really really complicated. And well, I mean, I was mentioning right that um, you need to earn people's respect. That's not easy, especially as a young founder, and especially if you are ten years younger than than your peers. That's just like a really complicated thing. Um, on the other hand, one of the most complicated things is selling. Like people tend to underestimate how hard selling is. Like selling is extremely complicated. Like the concept is um, just imagine like how hard it is to have a stranger, complete stranger, pay you 
for a service or the product. The concept is actually like really simple to understand, but once you actually start like to think about it, like it's not easy, like monetizing, and you need to start monetizing as fast as possible. That's also my 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 philosophy. But monetizing is complicated. Like it's not easy. It's not an easy task. So you really need to like focus on providing value to your to your customers and and definitely try to monetize as, as fast as possible because that's when you know that's when you have a business if you if you are not monetizing but you have a ton of users then you just might have it it might be a company but it can all, it could be a hobby right so that's also a really good learning experience and the third one is probably uh, regarding to funding funding is the unusual thing like we always hear about all these startups that like raise money and they have a lot of like great success all that but just like that's the one percent of the one percent i think there's a statistic that says that only two percent of the companies end up raising money and that's like a really really interesting metrics because you always have to dream big but at the same time you have to be realistic that it's really really non-plausible that you will be able to raise money not like not, we're not talking millions we're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars like just figure out i, I, I always tend to say like just ask yourself how hard it is to have your mom give you a $50 bill. <laughs> Imagine if you were asking for a 500,000 euro uh, ticket to an investor, like to a complete stranger. That's like really, really complicated. And that's the truth. Like raising money is not easy. And not everyone should just raise money for the sake of it. So you also need to be really realistic and always raise money if you actually need it. It's not sexy. Raising money is complicated and it can really be distracting. So, yeah. How difficult was it to raise money from Gavides? How? Excuse me? How difficult was it to raise money from Gavides and Partners? Okay, so I actually, I actually sent them a, a cold email. Like I had never... I, I knew people that had uh, Gavides as an investor, but I don't really want to leverage that so I just like uh, wrote him a cold email he actually replied and we went we met with my founder with my partners actually we ended up the meeting at a cafeteria because we were the where we were having the meeting was just closed down so we just like had to go to a cafeteria and I think in less than a month they said that they were going to lead the the seed round because they really liked the team and they really like uh, how we were approaching things and it was actually really, really smooth. Like, he's a really trustworthy person and he actually really, really liked what we did or who we were. So, yeah, it was a really great experience, to be honest. Sounds awesome. Well, thank you, Oscar, for taking part in, in this podcast. Hopefully, we can find ourselves collaborating more and more eventually with our projects. And let's see where you go and all the best. Yeah, well, thank you very much, Marie. Lots of luck with your endeavors. And yeah, <laughs> just let me know if you need any help. Absolute legend. <laughs>